now playing The Three Caballeros from 1945. Welcome back to Fault Disney Movies, destroying your childhood one movie at a time. My name is Nick, and as always, I am your tour guide, and on today's adventure, we will be looking at The Three Caballeros from 1945. This is the second of six consecutive package films from Walt Disney Pictures, and it is the follow-up to Saludos Amigos. Not so much a sequel, but definitely a follow-up, in that it is once again in tune with the good neighbor policy that permitted... Saludos Amigos to being made, and because of the success of Saludos Amigos, the second movie, this one, was made. The last time we talked about Saludos Amigos, and that was a combination of live action and animation, it was four short cartoons framed together with a device. In this particular case, the device was Walt Disney and his associates touring Latin America, South America to be precise, going to Brazil and Argentina and Chile, trying to get ideas that they could, um, for, for lack of a better phrase, steal. Not that they were stealing anything, but they were mining new activities, new unfamiliar grounds to the average American that they could turn into cartoons for the American audience. Much as Franklin Delano Roosevelt's good neighbor policy was a big part of making Saludos Amigos, the success of it caused this movie to be made. It was the second attempt to establish a positive relationship between the United States and some South American countries during the Second World War. Instead of four short cartoons this time, we are dealing with seven shorts strung together through a common theme. And the short nature of them uh, really comes into effect in the second half, where it's sort of like one extra long segment broken down into four pieces. Once again, Mickey Mouse is not the star of the propaganda hour. This time, it is again Donald Duck. Donald was a part of half of Saludos Amigos, if you remember correctly. And once again, this is a movie that premiered outside of the United States first. It premiered four days before Christmas in 1944 in Mexico City. It did not have a U.S. release until February of 1945. Now, the last time we spoke, I was telling you how I couldn't find any budget information on Saludos Amigos. A little bit has changed since last time we talked. I found a biography of Walt Disney called The Animated Man, A Life of Walt Disney. It was written by J. Michael Barrier. And in his book, he definitely spends time on the 1940s and how Walt Disney was not really making much money because of the war going on, losing his uh, European market. And one of the things that came up was the fact that Saludos made approximately double the cost of it. And apparently it cost about $300,000 to make. So, Barrier is writing that it made approximately $600,000. However, The Three Caballeros lost over $200,000 between its budget to its box office. So a third film, which was to be called Cuban Carnival, ended up getting scrubbed because of the mixed reviews and the box office bust that was The Three Caballeros. If that hasn't convinced you to turn off the podcast right now, I'm glad you're still with me. 
As seems to be the case with all of Disney's movies, Three Caballeros was re-released, this time five times. It came out in 1958, 66, 73, 77, and 81. The 77 re saw the movie cut in half, edited down to about 40 minutes in length, and it was paired with a live-action film from 1968 starring Dick Van Dyke and Edward G. Robinson called Never a Dull Moment which is the Disney Studios' take on mistaken identity and gangster films. I've not seen it, but in doing my research for this movie, I am interested in seeing it. There was a documentary that was released in 2009 called Walt and El Grupo. This documentary was made about the making of the Goodwill movies, and it is distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures, so it is an authorized biography of that time in the Disney Company's history. Judging by the fact that it only has about 244 votes on IMDb as of this recording, not a lot of people have seen it. It has a 6.5 out of 10. I encourage you, if you're interested in what Walt Disney was doing in the very beginning of his career, to seek it out. Once again, I've not seen it, but it's on my list of things to see. And as seems to have been the case with a lot of Walt Disney's movies, this one was once again even though it was the victim of mixed reviews, nominated for two Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Musical Score and Best Sound Recording, and it did not win either award. With that history lesson behind us, let's try and synopsize once again something that may not be able to be synopsized. We're dealing with a movie that is not a movie, so much as a bunch of little things thrown together to make a movie. The framing device used this time was Donald Duck's birthday, and it falls on Friday the 13th, in case you care, at least in the film. Donald's friends in Latin America, their words, not mine, send him gifts. The first gift is a movie projector that shows a movie on rare birds, and it's showing it as under the guise of being all of Donald's bird relatives. This leads into segment number one, which is narrated by Sterling Holloway, who, once you hear the voice, you will say, hey, that's Winnie the Pooh, and it is, among other voices that he did for Disney. This segment is about a penguin at the South Pole named Pablo, who is a cold-blooded penguin. He lives in an igloo with his stove, which is affectionately known as Smokey Joe, at least according to the narrator. Pablo is a penguin who wants to live on the tropical shores and not in Antarctica. He keeps trying to leave, but he keeps failing. And eventually, he gets the bright idea to cut himself an ice floe, and he floats north along the South American coast all the way to the equator. Once everything has melted, he uses his bathtub as a lifeboat, fashioning it into a speedboat, using the force of water shooting up through the drain and out of the shower faucet, and uses that as an engine. Pablo finds a tropical island, but he finds he misses his friends back home. We always seem to want the thing we don't have, and then when we get it, we want something else. The documentary continues, and Donald meets the Araquan, which is a crazy bird that is named after the funny song he makes, and the Araquan shows up a couple of times during this documentary, uh, during the actual movie itself, rather, just in various places. He seems to exist inside and outside of segments. Segment number two is where we learn of the young gauchito, or a young gaucho, who is going hunting for condor birds. And instead of finding a condor, he finds a flying donkey. The gauchito decides to catch the burrito, little donkey, uh, because he figured it would be quite valuable, given that it's a donkey that can fly. The next day after catching it, the gauchito and the burrito go to the fiesta to race for money. And they win the race, but only after burrito flies, because he's not a very good runner. But man, can he fly. 
Burrito and Gauchito fly away before Gauchito can collect the thousand pesos. And as he goes to collect them, and everyone sees that Burrito can fly, everyone starts hooting and hollering, and it's probably a good thing that they flew away. This leads into the second gift, which is a book about Brazil, and Jose Carioca reappears. He appears in the book, and he talks to Donald about Bahia, which is a part of Brazil. Carioca is miniature in scale to the book. I say this because it is of importance. Segment 3 is about Bahia, which is being seen through the eyes of Jose and Donald. Donald is shrunk down to that same small size as Jose, and they explore Bahia through the pop-up book that was the gift. Live action is mixed in with animation, and we see Donald fall for a Bahian woman who sells cookies on the street. Donald gets sore when other live-action men show up and start paying the woman attention. And at the end of the short, Donald and Jose get closed in the book, and Jose gets them out of it. Jose reminds Donald that there are more gifts, but Donald is still small. Jose sticks his finger in his mouth and blows, which makes him bigger. Donald tries the same and falls before Jose tells him that he was using the wrong finger. Hardy har har! No, really, this is, this is actually what happens. So now that Donald is made back into normal size, he goes to open gift number three. Music starts playing, reminiscent of the Meet the Soundtrack scene in Fantasia, where you're seeing sound waves emanate off of a center line. And then Donald meets a rooster called Panchito Pistoles, who gives him and Jose sombreros and calls them three gay caballeros. And then they sing a song. Gift number three, though, is not the hat, it's a piñata from Mexico. And this is where the picture sort of becomes a mishmash of four segments really being one extra long one. We start with Los Posadas, wherein Donald learns about Mexican children and how they celebrate Christmas by reenacting Mary and Joseph's search for shelter. Once the kids are given posada, or shelter, they get to break the piñata. Donald is then shown trying to break a piñata, but Panchito and Jose act quite treacherously to Donald by moving it around a bunch. Segment number five is about Mexico, in particular Pazcuaro, Veracruz, and Acapulco, as seen on a magic carpet ride. We are once again treated to live action and animation together, such as segment three was. Donald once again lusts for a woman. When Panchito and Jose take him away on the flying carpet while he is dancing with one, he is noticeably unhappy. Donald then spies on women on the beach in Acapulco, hitting on all of them before Panchito and Jose remove him from the beach. Segment number six is You Belong to My Heart, which is a song sung by Dora Luz. Donald once again only has eyes for her. After that, we go into Donald's surreal reverie, the final segment, where Donald imagines getting kissed, which causes him to have some sort of LSD dream. I recognize LSD comes later, but that's really the best way to describe it. He bounces through a sequence that is similar to the Dumbo Pink Elephant scene, and then there is more live action mixed in with the animation. Donald chases Dora Lou some more, there's a psychedelic feel to it, and ultimately ends with fireworks showing the Spanish, Portuguese, and English words for fin, fim, the end. Again, it's really more of a very loose frame to put a bunch of small films together to hopefully generate some revenue for Disney and his company. And that's fine. I'm not against capitalism, but there are other things that are wrong with it. And we'll go segment by segment, starting now. Segment number one, a cold-blooded penguin. I can't even imagine such a silly premise, but let's go with it. Pablo detaches an ice flow with his igloo on it, and he leaves Antarctica. Okay, fine, he doesn't want to be in Antarctica. But he does this with his furnace in tow. How is it possible that a lit stove does not generate enough heat to sink Pablo within minutes of him leaving on his journey? I know the water is cold, but he cuts the ice flow, he's in moving water. It's above 32 degrees. That furnace is going to make heat. I just don't see it. Okay, putting that aside, barring that, 
How does warming water sustain that ice flow? Let's just forget about the stove. As she's moving north toward the equator, that ice flow has to melt, and it doesn't. He eventually hits the equator. He gets all the way up to the equator on this little, little nub of ice before his igloo melts. If it was going to melt, which it was, it should have melted sooner. And of course, once the bathtub that is on the ice flow sinks, it would be impossible for Pablo to get the water out of it. But somehow, with that tub underwater, using his hat, he scoops out all the water out of it and raises it up. That's just cartoon physics, I guess, but I would have maybe done it differently. Maybe I would have, if I'm going to give over to the ice flow not melting, I might have figured out a better way to get the tub out before it sinks. That's just me. Uh, Just a factual error. The city Valparaiso is misspelled Valparaiso on Pablo's map. That's just one of those things I noticed, and I said, I know that's wrong. So, double-checked it, it is. In the second segment, Burrito wins the race, but when Gauchito goes to collect a thousand pesos, Burrito flies up to a bird's nest and takes Gauchito with him. It's at this point that the other jockeys begin making noise about Burrito being able to fly, and how dare he win a race by, I guess, cheating. But did nobody notice how slow Burrito was at the start? Everybody got out of the starting gate. He he was there. He wasn't moving. And then he suddenly is the fastest donkey on uh, in the race. From He went from barely moving to blowing everybody away, running so fast that he's like sweeping the clothes off of bystanders. And did nobody notice he has wings before he flew away? You know, wings, the thing that donkeys generally don't have. I would imagine they'd stick out if you looked at a donkey. I don't know. Just me. In the third segment, if you can concede that live-action and animated characters can intermingle, then there are no problems that I can really give you. No faults, really. Because it's a largely song-and-dance segment, though you will see that the seeds of Donald's lust are being sown in this segment. Nothing really happens in that fourth segment that we can complain about. Just a reenactment of the children uh, doing the Mary and Joseph walk for shelter. It is what it is. But in the fifth segment, Donald once again loves the ladies, and it shows. It's cute at first, but then it becomes kind of creepy fast. And, you know, Donald has that whole Hyatt Toots thing that he does, and he's calling everybody that is not a man Toots. Donald is lusty, and it's a little creepy, and it's a little hard for me to say that because I love Donald. Number one, he's my favorite. Segment number six, Donald once again lusting for another woman, this time Dora Luz. This might have been cute, but it, it, it it's not anymore. It's, it's creepy and lecherous, and uh, if I'm being honest, I don't think this aspect of the movie has aged very well, and I don't see how it was very well received when it came out. But as the movie did receive mixed reviews, maybe it wasn't. And then in the final segment, I'm just, I'm just about done with Donald's desires. This is all it is. He's just, he's just thinking about girls, and it becomes a, a Dumbo ripoff, and the movie becomes more of a chore than anything by the end. Because Donald is doing, only doing the same two things for the last half of the movie. It really hurts me to say that. I, I shared my Donald story the last time. Finding him at Disneyland when I was five years old made my day, made my childhood. I still love that picture I have with him. But this, this is not how I want to think about Donald Duck. Similarly, The Three Caballeros is not how I want to remember any Disney movie. The live-action and animated sequences where the two mediums are interacting are very convincingly done, given a film that was made in the 1940s. In particular, Donald being flung from a beach blanket several times 
uh, up in the air by the women he's been harassing at the beach. That's pretty advanced stuff for animators that Disney didn't think could draw deer very convincingly, so unconvincingly that he bumped Bambi from his second release ended up being his fifth. His landings in this blanket make divots, and they fling him upward, and it undoes the divot. I don't know how they pulled that off, but they did, and it worked. Again, the libido is... It's done. It goes from cute to overdone very quickly, and it hurts. I don't have a baseline to view this against. I didn't see it as a kid. So my honest opinion of it is the first time I'm seeing it, which is for this podcast. I think the first three segments are very well done. The four final Mexican segments bleed into one another, and without a clear break, the four as one kind of just drag for me. This is probably my least favorite Disney film so far. It does not bode well for the next four package films if I'm already getting sick of them halfway through. I give this a 5 out of 10, 2.5 out of 5 stars, and most of that is attributed to Donald, but most of the discount is attributed to Donald. Oh man, it hurts. I, I know I've said it about five times, but it really does. The best part of this movie was absolutely the live action and animation combined, and the short runtime helps. It's anywhere from 68 to 72 minutes, depending on the version you watch. But even with that short runtime, those four Mexican segments make it feel a little long, which is a pretty amazing feat for a movie that's only about an hour and ten minutes. Well, that's going to do it for episode seven of Fault Disney Movies. The next time we talk will be episode eight, Make Mine Music, the third of six package films, another one where segments are pretty much being framed together through music, and having seen only a little bit of it because there's some controversy surrounding the first segment, I don't have a full opinion yet, but I'm sure the next time you hear me in a week I'll have a very nice fleshed out one just for you. In the meantime, we thank you for listening. Please review us on iTunes. We would appreciate any love you can give us. And until next time, my name is Nick. I've been your tour guide, and I hope that you come back again and hear us real soon. Bye.